The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm and has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. The Gospel of the Lord. It's tricky because Mary has three different feasts attributed to her that all start with an A. You ever thought about that? Like how difficult that is to not confuse them? Ascension, Assumption, Annunciation. And they all have like double letters in them too. Like S's and N's and U's and T's and I's. So let's just get it right. The Assumption is what? Mary being assumed into heaven, body and soul. It's interesting because this gospel always goes back to the uh, visitation narrative uh, because there's not any scriptural points that actually highlight Mary's assumption. We don't have like, and Mary was assumed, body and soul in heaven. Like it's a, it's a teaching, it's a dogma we have, but it's, it's not in scripture. And so it becomes a point of debate amongst other Christians. Why do you think and believe what you think and believe? And we say it's what the church teaches. If anything, Mary's assumption highlights and solidifies for us the importance of the teaching body of the church, the magisterium. It, it's associated with Scripture, but, but we realize that it's not only scripture we use for our knowledge, our teaching, and our faith. And there, we know our Christian brothers and sisters who have, who have that believe that they believe in scripture alone, or faith alone, or grace alone. And yet when we talk about Catholicism, we talk about what we have, we have scripture, yes, the inerrant word of God without error. We have the living apostolic tradition, what's been handed on to us through the generations, through, through centuries by the apostles, the disciples, church fathers, bishops, priests. And then within that, the magisterium, the, the authoritative body that can say, yes, we do believe this. No, we don't believe this. In the early church, 
there's still always debate and controversy and difficulty, and, and you saw that with the need for councils and the need for uh, contradictions against heresies. But what is founded as dogma, like essential necessary teaching, has always been the belief that this is a widespread acceptance already. So even though the last uh, Marian dogma came in 1950, it was already widely believed by the church, it was accepted by the church for, for centuries upon centuries. The church just finally said, like, all right, well, we will just put it in writing as, as law. But this idea that Mary is assumed body and soul into heaven is such a gift. It's something that we long for. It's something that it's hoped for after our death and the second coming. But why did Mary receive it when she did? And how did she receive it? Well, she receives it because she was born without original sin. So we, we get further, like, theological understandings that original sin that was given to us by Adam, we heard about that in the earlier readings, because of sin and fall. Original sin affected our immortality. It made us mortal. It, it caused us to have this reality. But Mary, being born with, with no original sin, without sin, is spared that punishment, maybe we say? Spared that, that ending? And there's still going to be church scholars who like, get into this really funky debate about Okay, like, where was, like, the, the, her great dormition, like, her great sleep? And then the assumption, like, was there, like, this split second where she's like, and she's dead and now she's assumed. <laughs> it's like, and, and right there. It's like, it's like trying to explain the consecration, like, it's right there. Or right there. It's like, it's, it's an all within kind of thing, like, Sometimes we get so stuck on the, the minutiae, the minuscule details that we forget, like, no, what is given to Mary is promised to all of us. Like, let's just be happy about that. Let's not worry about, like, yeah, right in the spot, right there, got it. Like, it's, stop. That, that unnecessary worrying uh, is what causes all of the frictions and the debates and the and the, the, the struggles. The other beautiful reality of this particular gospel being used in the assumption is that, okay, we talk about the end of life, but we also hear about the beginning of life. And how often do we go back to the visitation, Mary, with uh, burying Jesus in her womb, and Elizabeth burying John the Baptist, like, that that is life. Debate me on this, fight me on this, and yet people will. Like, how can you deny the fact that a child, and we're going to all affirm that this is a child in the womb, leapt for joy at the reality of, there's Jesus, my Messiah. Whoa. So we get further teachings with Mary about all this. Uh, the last part, which I, I love, is actually uh, the canticle that we hear. It's, um, it's actually what's used uh, in the Liturgy of the Hours. So the prayer of the church prayed five times a day, promised to be prayed five times a day by all priests, religious, um, and encouraged to be prayed by the, the faithful throughout the day. Um, like that, that canticle is in there. And you think about like, what is Mary really highlighting? What is she really proclaiming? She's emphasizing for us, there's, there's a lot you can like pull from it, but she's emphasizing that 
My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. The thing I love most about Mary, no matter what you try to take, whatever you look at, whatever you want to examine, Mary has always, at the root of her life, redirected us back to her son. So whether you're, you're into all of like the Marian apparitions and everything, and you maybe you love, um, you know, Lourdes and Guadalupe and Fatima, and you're in like, I love, I want to go to Medjugorje, but I don't know what the church thinks about it. I've been to Medjugorje. I, want, I went as a gift, um, but also very like hesitantly. I was like, it's not approved by the church. What do I do here? What I walked away was, I walked away with the reality that maybe Mary's the reason people come, but Jesus is the reason they stay. Because each day, there were at least seven masses celebrated in seven different languages. There are roughly 150 confessionals open and available. Not every single one is filled with a priest, but at least each day I saw like 70 confessionals being utilized with different languages. Like this priest speaks Spanish, English, Italian, whatever. There is daily adoration. And, and for me, the highlight, there's also the Stations of the Cross. There's so many things, but the highlight was the final day of the week that we were there, Friday. They did this massive outdoor adoration with this, this monstrance that's probably as big as my body and a host probably like, like, like this big, I would guess. Like. And, and this is the, the kicker. It's a Friday night. It's 7 p.m. It's outside in this itty-bitty little town in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And the, and the amphitheater is full, 3,000-some-odd people. And you'd think, you'd maybe ask, like, well, who is it filled by? Who are those people out there? In America, we'd probably have to say, oh, they're probably all old people, because what else are they going to do on a Friday night? It was filled with, with young people, 18, 19, 20, 30-year-olds. I was just like, what? Can you come back to the States and like bring some of your Jesus with you? That'd be great. So Mary, no matter what, ultimately is always trying to redirect us back to her son. That's, that's the, the nugget here. And the assumption is just to remind her, like, this is what's been promised to all of us at some point. She's just, she's just paving the way. She's just showing us. And so our souls need to magnify the greatness of the Lord. That's what we're called to do today. And so we think in our own prayer, Lord, how can I magnify you in what I do?